Oh, beloved, it is so good to be with you today. I am enjoying this time when we have been able to connect, even though it is online, we've been able to connect to study God's Word. I entitled the lesson today, How to Find Calm in the Midst of Chaos. We are in the midst of a global pandemic. The whole world is out of sorts, beloved. The whole world is greatly impacted by these terribly troubling times. Most of us are feeling overwhelmed, overwrought, overtired, overloaded, overworked, and just playing over it. And I've got to tell you, even though I have been working on this lesson for several weeks, and even though I brought you a lesson just a few weeks ago about how to cope with cabin fever, I'm going to have to tell you that my sanguine soul has been troubled on many days. There have been days when I've been so frustrated and so easily distracted. Those are not typically characteristics that describe me, but I have discovered my threshold for frustration has become very, very low. Out there in the country where I live, we've had all kinds of technical problems, which I'm not good at. My desktop has failed me. My trusty desktop, we have written uh, volumes and volumes of words together, and all of a sudden it upped and, and, and absolutely failed me in the midst of a writing project, dropped out documents. They were never recovered. My phone will no longer work. I'm losing calls. I cannot text or send an email. All sorts of technical issues have happened. And while I typically would meet all of those things with at least some measure of enthusiasm, I have found in these days, I am so tired of all of this. You will understand this when I tell you that I, even though I know better, have on some days, I've lost my joy. And so today, when I bring you this message, would you know that it is born out of a heart that wants to come alongside and encourage you to find calm in the midst of the chaos in which we are living. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He is the source of calm. And it will be no surprise to any of you when I tell you that the calm in this storm... It is Jesus. It is Jesus. He is our source of calm. Beloved, I'm reminded that on a stormy sea, when the disciples were troubled and certain that they were about to go under, that the Lord Jesus spoke to the wind and to the seas. He said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. As he was approaching the cross, as it was looming large over him, he sensed how troubled the disciples were, how agitated, how full of fear and anxiety they were. And he gave them these words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be fearful. Oh, beloved, listen to me. Sometimes the Lord calms the storm. And sometimes he speaks to his child and calms us even while the storm rages. I don't know how much longer we have that we will be quarantined and encouraged to stay at home. I don't know. But I do know this, that Christ is our source, not just our resource, our source of calm in this storm. I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. 
When I became a new believer at the age of 24 years old, I had never been in the Word of God. In fact, I've told you before in my testimony, I'd only been in church just a few times in my entire life prior to the time when I began to attend Bellevue Baptist Church and under the ministry of Dr. Adrian Rogers, heard the gospel, understood I was a sinner in need of a Savior and received Jesus Christ and was gloriously saved and transformed. I believe all conversions are supernatural, but not all of them are dramatic and mine was one that was so incredibly dramatic I stepped out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and I began to study the word of God I'd never even read the word before I knew absolutely nothing about it and yet I could tell why I didn't understand much didn't know much I could tell that Dr. Rogers believed the word of God had the ability to change your life and I began to dig into this book and I will tell you that I began studying the book of a Ephesians. And I was troubled at that particular time, very new in the Lord, and frankly believing that everyone else in my church had come to faith as a child and had never struggled with or committed the sins that I knew I was guilty of, having come to the Lord as a young adult. And I struggled with my self-worth and my self-image. Now, I knew I was secure in Christ. This wasn't an issue of the assurance of my salvation. This was an issue of self-worth. And I could not get past my past. I could not get past those things that I had done and was so ashamed of and I was so certain that if anybody else in the church ever found out who I really was, who I really had been, they would never accept me, they would never love me, they would never allow me to serve in any capacity because they would know of the shame that I carried. And it was through the study of the book of Ephesians that God healed my self-worth. I came into the passage and began to study the one I'm teaching you today in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And I began to read who I was in Christ, who I was in Christ and who he was in me. And beloved, I'm telling you, it doesn't always happen this way, but instantaneously my self-hatred my lack of self-worth was healed when I discovered the truth I'm going to be teaching you today. And so when I was thinking about how I might bring a message to encourage you, this message, this passage came directly to my heart, believing it was from the Lord that some of you out there need to be reminded who you are in Christ and what he's done for us. And in recognizing that, in revisiting that truth, in uh, uh, choosing to claim that truth and stand in that truth, it is my prayer today that you will find calm in the midst of chaos, that you will find healing and hope springing up, welling up from the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to see as we look at Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 3 is what I called the Father selected us. If you can clasp this truth, if you can grasp it, hang on to this truth and see how much the Father loves you and the extent he went to redeem you, I believe it will help you 
Find calm today in the midst of the storm. It is incredible. The Apostle Paul wrote this passage and from verses 3 all the way through verse 14 in the original language is one long run-on sentence. I love run-on sentences. I talk that way and I write that way. I have published seven of my own Bible studies and I want to tell you that my editor and I drew swords on more occasions than one because of my use of run-on sentences. She said, that is not appropriate. That is not proper grammar. I talk that way. I write that way. And over and over again, I was being challenged on my run-on sentences. Evidently, that's not the proper way to use uh, grammar. Uh, I was uh, not only guilty of run-on sentences, but lots and lots of commas. I didn't know there were so many rules regarding commas. I would just throw them in there anytime I needed to draw a breath. And come to find out there are lots of rules. But when I read this passage, how Paul went on in one long run-on sentence, it's as if he got started talking about the glory of God, and he could not stop himself. First thing I want you to see is found in uh, beginning in verse 3. This is what I call the Father selected us. It says in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. Oh, did you see it? Did you see it? The Father has blessed us, according to verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Peter wrote this. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. That is, Jesus Christ has given us everything we need to live the Christian life in power. It is ours in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Not only did he bless us, he has chosen us. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Beloved, this is a theological point that I could not possibly unravel. In fact, really only in the mind, the, the incredible uh, infinite mind of God can all of this be unraveled. I'll simply tell you that when I began to study out that God before the foundation of the world, before he had created any of this, he knew me. He had me on his heart and on my mind. He knew he would make a provision through Jesus. Jesus Christ, that I might repent of my sins and I might be redeemed. Beloved, the more I studied that, the more I saw how treasured and blessed and cherished I was by God the Father who went to such great lengths to seek me out. He set his affection on me, came after me, invited me a sinner to come and know him through his son, to be redeemed, rescued, reconciled, all of that through Jesus Christ. Beloved, the more I studied that and learned of those truths, the more I began to stand in those truths. I had been blessed with every spiritual blessing chosen before the foundation of the world. The Father loved me, set his affection on me. He knew everything about me. He knew all of my sin. He knew every failure I had ever committed and every sin I would continue to 
commit. And yet he chose me. He loved me. He delighted in me. Not only has he blessed us and chosen us, verse 5 says he adopted us as sons. Now, beloved, that's very, very significant. In that day, in Bible times, men often had multiple wives, and they would often have children from their uh, slaves. And those children, while they were belonging to the master, did not have right to inheritance, but if he decided to do so, he could lay claim on that child. He would take the child to a legal ceremony at the gate in front of the judges there, and he would declare that child to be adopted as a son, and that child would receive all of the rights legally as a son would have. And that's what he's saying here. He adopted us as sons. You'll remember during Bible times that women could not get part of the inheritance of their father. It went to the sons first. And he's saying that you and I were adopted and given legal standing in the kingdom of God as sons. Adoption is the act of God giving his children adult standing in his family. A baby cannot legally use his inheritance, but an adult son can. That's what he's saying. We do not have to wait until heaven when we die to begin to enjoy all that is ours in Christ Jesus because he has blessed us. He has chosen us. He has adopted us. And not only that, beloved, look with me in verse 6. Let me read this to you out of the King James. I love this version, this translation, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Don't you love that? We are accepted in Christ Jesus. He did not patch us up and make us acceptable. He accepted us. He received us. He delighted in us. He took us in the state we were in and received us as his own, making us heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Beloved, as I began to understand and grasp this truth that the Father accepted me, I began to stand in that truth and God washed that truth over me, spoke to me out of this scripture, reminding me who I was in Christ. And again, I tell you, my self-worth was healed through Ephesians chapter 1, just realizing who I was in Jesus Christ, what he had done for me. He accepted me on the basis of Christ's finished work on the cross. And when I entered into that work through repentance and faith, oh, beloved, don't you see? He accepted me and he has accepted you. He calls us daughters of the king, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. That means just as he loves the Lord Jesus, he loves each one of us. And beloved, if you will meditate on these unbelievable truths, if you will claim them, if you will own them, if you will stand in them, I promise you, you will find calm in the midst of the storm. I had a working title for my lesson and I called it, how to look up when you're locked down. And beloved, in these days, some of them very scary, some of them frustrating, some of them very difficult, we can find calm by looking up. In the midst of all of these difficult circumstances, we can look up. 
And we can believe by faith and appropriate this truth that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We have been adopted and given the legal standing as an adult son. And we have been accepted in the beloved. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might exchange our lives, our sin for his righteousness. While we were yet in our sin, Christ died for us. Oh, beloved, the Father has chosen us. The Father has sought us out. The Father set his affections upon us and ran us down. And by the power of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, he declared himself to us, giving us eyes of understanding and inviting us to receive Jesus Christ. Christ is Lord and Savior. The Father has sought us. Not only that, the Son has saved us. It just gets richer and richer. No wonder Paul was not able to put a period at his uh, sentence there. Um, the translators have added punctuation, but in the original language from 3 to 14, these verses flowed as one long run-on sentence. But look at what the Son has done for us. Look in verse 7 of chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of time and that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of, according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of of his glory. The Father sought us. The Son saved us. Paul writes that Christ redeemed us through his blood. That word redeem has several different meanings, but the one that Paul uses here when he speaks of redemption through his blood means to be bought out of the marketplace for the purpose of taking the purchase out of circulation. In that day, in that day, it's, it is um, estimated there were over six million slaves bought and sold in Rome. But if a man were rich enough and compassionate enough, he could purchase a slave out of the marketplace of sin and set him free and he was declared he would never go back into the slave market of sin again that is what Paul is saying that Christ has done for us he redeemed us Galatians 3 13 says from the curse of the law he died for us he redeemed us from the slave market of sin and set us free with his blood he paid the price for our redemption oh beloved does that not speak calm to your soul that Christ loved us so much? He was willing to die for us while we were yet in our sins. Christ died for us. He loved us so much that he was willing to be the once for all time sacrifice for sin. Christ died for us and redeemed us out of the marketplace of sin. And Paul uh, speaks to us of eternal security knowing that we will never return to the slave market. We can never be purchased again. We are eternally secure in Christ. 
Jesus said, my sheep know me. They hear my voice. They follow me. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. He has bought us from the slave market of sin. When Craig and I first were uh, believers, I was in need of a desk. And I set out to find a desk. I was beginning to study and write and I needed a dedicated space. And I wanted a roll top desk. At that time, we had lots of old pieces. Uh, they weren't true antiques. They were just simply old. And I began looking for an old roll top desk to put in my home to be my dedicated desk. And we looked around, we found a few, and they were very, very expensive, and I had just about given up on the idea, when one day I read in the commercial appeal that there was going to be a um, um, sale out in Rossville, an auction, and one of the items listed in the things that were going to be auctioned was a roll-top desk. And so I asked Craig if he would take me out there to the auction, and if indeed it was something we could use, would he uh, help me uh, buy that roll top desk. I still remember it so clearly. Dawson was spending the night with friends, so we just had Jason with us. We drove out there with great expectations to Rossville. Jason had had a ball game, and so we arrived after the auction had already begun. And just as we walked in the door, they were setting the roll top desk up at the front of the auction to begin the auction. My husband ran up and registered and was given a paddle with a number on it. That was the way he would make his bids. Only one of us would be bidding, and I'm sure I don't have to tell you it was only wise if Craig be the one uh, with the paddle. And so we didn't have time to even find a place to sit. It was quite crowded that night. And so we stood along the side. I was standing behind Craig. And um, while I know you're supposed to keep a poker face at every auction, I couldn't help myself. I wanted that desk so badly. And it wasn't long before everyone in that whole place knew that I wanted that desk. Now my husband was operating very slowly making a decision. And so he would not quit put it in a bed and so I was nudging him from behind and until finally Craig said I think it's going to be best if you go stand in the back and let me handle this without your uh, interruptions because everybody knows you want the desk I couldn't help myself everybody knew it and so it came down finally to one lady who was bidding against my husband and it became quite a dramatic scene. The auctioneer would set forth the bid and look at the woman and she would nod yes that she wanted it and he would increase the bid and look at my husband and the whole place would turn to look at Craig and he was operating, he was moving very slowly in my opinion. My eye was beginning to twitch. I thought we were going to lose that desk because the man's not going to uh, bid fast enough and yet finally he would nod that yes he was going to take that bid. The man would go back to the woman, back to my husband. This went six or seven times back and forth, back and forth Finally, the bid was called out. They looked at the woman and she shook. No, she did not want it. I squealed with delight, jumped up and down, and everybody entered into my joy, and they all began to applaud wildly. They knew how badly I wanted that desk. We ran up to the front, and I was writing a check to purchase that desk. The woman who had been bidding against my husband stood up and walked over to Craig and said, I'm the one who's been bidding against you, and I'm already regretting that I did not buy that desk. I want to know that if, um, if you are willing to sell it, I will pay you more than you have just paid for it if you will sell it to me right now. And my husband laughed and he said, ma'am, 
I bought that desk for my wife, and it's going to be her decision. So you need to go and ask her if she's interested in selling it. But he said, I will tell you this. I have an idea. She is not going to be interested. So the woman came and asked me, was I interested in selling that desk? And I said, oh, no, no. I didn't buy the desk to resell it. I bought it to keep it. I believe that before the foundation of the world, this thing was preordained for me. I believe the Lord had set it apart for me, and it was mine. That That, beloved, is exactly what the scripture means by the word that Paul used for redeemed, purchased, never to go back on the block again, never, ever again to be sold at the marketplace of sin. That's what Christ has done for us. He has redeemed us. Not only that, he has forgiven us. Look again now in verse Um, seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, redeemed and forgiven, bought out of the marketplace of sin, and our trespasses have been carried away. They have been forgiven. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's Psalm 103 verse 12. We are redeemed and we are forgiven. Oh beloved, if you will meditate on those truths, if you will let them find lodging in your heart, you will find calm in the midst of the chaos. The Father sought us. The Son saved us. The last point I want to make is the Holy Spirit has sealed us. Look with me now in verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Beloved, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit a promise. Now, this was a very common term in Bible days. It was referring to the official mark of identification that was placed on a letter or a contract or important document. It was typically made by melted wax, and a signet ring would be impressed into that wax. That document was officially identified with and sealed under the authority of the person who owned the signet ring. The Holy Spirit, beloved, is God's mark of authentication, of authenticity, authenticity, excuse me, on our life that determines, that declares, that testifies that we belong to him. We have been sealed. We bear the mark of Christ on our life by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who enables us, who instructs us, encourages us. He, beloved, is the mark of God's ownership on our life. Not only is he um, sealed us with the Spirit of God, the Spirit is given as the pledge of our inheritance. This word pledge means something like a down payment, earnest money, if you will, in regards to real estate. It's the absolute guarantee that one day, whether we meet the Lord through the rapture of the church or through the portal of death, that one day it is his absolute promise, pledge, and guarantee that we will go home to be for all eternity home with the Lord. That word pledge 
began to mean not only a legal transaction, but a love transaction similar to the word we use, engagement ring. He is our engagement ring, our guarantee that one day Christ will come for his bride, the church. Oh, beloved, in the midst of these turbulent days, in the midst of all that is unknown, in the midst of these difficulties, in the midst of these frustrations, in the midst of all of the chaos we are living in, Christ is our calm. And if you're in need of calm today, I urge you to read and reread Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, asking God to illuminate this scripture to you, to enlighten you, and to allow you to appropriate all that is yours in Christ Jesus. Ask him to give you calm in the midst of chaos. Beloved, a number of years ago, I was invited to go and speak at the Alabama Baptist Convention in Huntsville, Alabama. That year, they were offering a, a weekend event inviting pastors and their wives, and they asked me if I would come and speak to the wives on one session. They were offering a number of different tracks, they called it, and when I called to tell them I would love to accept the opportunity, they told me that Ann Graham Lotz was going to be one of the keynote speakers. Now, she is the daughter of Billy Graham and a woman I hold in such high esteem. I understood that while I was speaking on one track to the women in one uh, venue that Anne would be speaking to other women in another area at another venue. They invited my husband to come and said he was welcome to sit in on any of the uh, classes and any of the speakers that he wanted to and so Craig and I were uh, preparing to head out to uh, Huntsville excited for the opportunity. And I remember it was two weeks before the event that as I was talking to one of the promoters, the person who had invited me, and getting more details about it, I found out to my absolute horror that I was sharing the platform with Ann Graham Lotz and I was teaching immediately after her. Now, I just want you to know I've been a Bible teacher for, I don't know, over 38 years now. And I absolutely love to study and I love to get a word from God. And I I love to teach. Typically, I do not become anxious or nervous. My anxiety is rooted that I might possibly misrepresent, misspeak, mishandle the Word of God. But as I study the Word and I believe God's giving me a message, typically, I am so enthusiastic and so excited to get to bring a message that I believe has come from God to those who will hear me speak. So usually, it's one of great enthusiasm and excitement. But this time, when I heard that I would be sharing this platform with Ann Graham Lotz, I've got to tell you, the anxiety gripped me, fear gripped me like I have never known before. And I began to have to cast down vain imaginations. It became a full-time job. I asked everybody I knew to begin to pray for me. I was so full of, of fear, so concerned that I couldn't possibly speak with her there, so concerned that I could not consider bringing the word after she had brought the word. I, I was just full of anxiety. In fact, the trip from our home up to 
Huntsville, I hardly said a word to Craig, most unusual for me. I was just lost in my thoughts and again having to cast down vain imaginations and everything uh, that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. I am telling you, I was full of anxiety. We pulled up to the hotel and we got out and I was uh, standing there as Craig was loading up all of our luggage up on the, uh, the trolley and as he did it, I sort of wandered off from him and there by the door uh, of the entryway to the hotel, there was a garden area that was just beautiful, full of azaleas and heavily planted and so forth. And right there in the midst of that, right in the downtown of Huntsville, uh, right in this heart of the busy metropolitan area, there in this beautiful little uh, section that was heavily landscaped, sat a great big mother duck. And she had, had hatched out eight little bitties. And there she sat right by the entrance to this huge hotel. And she was there with all of her uh, little flock all around her. And the hotel had taken great delight in protecting her and feeding her. They had actually brought out hotel linens with their monogram and had helped make her a bed and a soft nest for her to have her uh, uh, lay her eggs and then to hatch her little babies. They had dishes from the restaurant with their uh, logo on it there in the uh, uh, in her little pen, they had fenced it off to keep her safe and they had posted signs to beware of the mother duck and all of her little babies. In fact, the newspaper had caught wind of it and they had come and done a television shot and also had been in the newspaper about how this hotel had this uh, little duck nursery right there at the entryway. And as I was watching it, it was just the cutest thing. So I walked back to the car to get my camera at that time before we had iPhones. I used a, a camera and I, I love to take pictures. I I took thousands of them and I went back to get my camera and I was telling Craig, you've got to come see this adorable sight. And Mother Duck and all of her little yellow goslings just right over there, right here in the middle of the city. This adorable thing in the hotel is taking care of them. And so I'm getting my camera out and I'm unpacking it. And Craig said, I'm going to go in and check us in here at the hotel. And then I'll come right back and I'll come see the duck. And I said, in the meantime, I'm going to go over there and take pictures of her. And so I go over there approaching her very cautiously, didn't want to scare her. And I'm squatting down to take pictures. And I look and all I can see is a Mother Duck. There is no no babies around anywhere. Now, it had just been a few minutes. There had been eight of the little yellow things just a minute ago, and I was standing there looking at them, thinking, where in the world are those babies? And as I watched her, she lifted her wings, and all of those babies were tucked in around her wings. And I've got to tell you that in that moment, with great anxiety, gripped with fear, the Lord spoke to me. Now, not in an autumn voice. I hope you understand this, but it was much louder than that. Do you get what I'm saying? It was so loud, that voice inside me resonating in me, the voice of my father speaking peace to me. And as I looked at that mother duck lifting her wings and all the little babies tucked in close by, the father spoke to me and said, Jean, do you see that? Do you see that? I gave you that image today that you might cast down this anxiety that you might rest in me, that you might trust in me just as that mother duck has gathered all of her
her little flock and has safely covered them with her wing. I have covered you with my pinions, Psalm 91, and under my wing you can find refuge there. And he said, look, do you see the ducklings? They're all close to the mother. Their little heads are tucked up against her. They can hear her heart beat. And he said, Jean, sit in my lap with me and rest your head against my chest and hear my heart is beating for you. You are my beloved. You are my vessel. You are the one I will use and speak through. You are the one who are protected, who is loved. You are my daughter. And I, I will walk you through this. I offer you my peace and my blessing. I've got to tell you from that moment on, I was so impacted by that visual image that the Lord had given me, so impacted by the reality that God loved me so much that in the midst of that anxiety, in the midst of that fear, it all dissipated when I heard the voice of the Lord speak, peace, be still. Beloved, I don't know where you are today, but wherever it is, I'm assuming that you need a little calm in your chaos. I'm assuming that you need to look up while you're locked down. And I will tell you this, on the authority of the Word of God, and by personal experience, the Father will hide you in the cleft of the rock until the storm passes by. And I believe in the words of the great hymn, the things of, the, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lift up your eyes, daughter of the king. Lift up your eyes, beloved. The Lord is speaking to you today. He is reminding you all that he has done on your behalf, that he sought you. He sent his son to die for you, to redeem you and save you. And he's given you the spirit of the living God to dwell within you. That's your pledge. That's your legal guarantee. That's your engagement ring. That's your promise that one day, one day, we're walking out of this world and we will see him face to face. Oh, until that time, beloved, until that time, may we be faithful to the finish. I have treasured my time with you, and I do pray that in the midst of all of the swirling chaos, Christ will be your stay, your comfort, and your calm this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we bless you. Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you've done for us, all you have given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I personally thank you that though I was deep in sin, that you sought me out. You set your affections upon me. You came after me. You made yourself known to me by the word of God and spirit of God that you revealed to me I was a sinner in need of a savior, that you sought me out in the midst of my sin. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died to redeem one like me, chief among sinners, and yet you set your affection upon me and were willing to die that I might be redeemed and ransomed, reconciled with God the Father. And the old spirit of the living God, thank you 
that you have been given to us as a pledge, a promise of our full inheritance, that you have marked me out as one who belongs to you. And now, Father, for all of my sisters in Christ that are tuning in today, how I pray that you will bless them, that you will encourage them, that you will remind them of who they are in you, a daughter of the King, blessed and beloved, redeemed and reconciled, that you will give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for the garment of heaviness. They will see themselves afresh and anew in you. Father, in these days, draw many unto yourself, that many might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that your people, your church, might be faithfully serving you. May we be found faithful until you come. We ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you.